nice to see you all back again. Hope you had a nice Shabbat. And here we are for our fifth shiur in this series of Echot Shabbat. We spent the first three shiurim going through the basic principles of psika. Had to be posek when it comes to Echot Shabbat. Uh, in the shiur last week, we began discussing some of the melachot. And last week, we, we spent the majority of the shiur discussing kosher and matir, which, uh, which go together. Um, and we explained the big differences between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim when it comes to kosher and matir, the different kinds of types of knots, how long. And we also went into Zorea as well. And today we want to continue to discuss three melachot, shochet, literally slaughtering, uh, dash, threshing, and memareach, memachek, which basically means smoothening. And like I said last week, you know, Chot Shabbat is extensive. There is a lot to learn. So what we are doing are going through the main melachot, which there are big differences between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim, number one. Number two, where there are misconceptions with regards to the melachot. And number three, where we can apply the klalei psika, which we discussed in the first three weeks, where we can discuss them in practical halachot. And that's what we're going to be doing this evening, Bezat Hashem. We'll see a number of instances where we'll be applying what we've learned, and also some major differences between Sfaradim and Ashkenazim when it comes to the different melachot. Okay, so let's begin with, and as, as always, feel free to ask anything as, as we go along. So, shochet. Shochet means to slaughter. And shochet was used in the Mishkan because in order to use the... Um, in one of the roofs, the Mishkan had three or four roofs. And one of the roofs was made of the hides of the, of the Tahashim and the Elim, of the rams and the Tahash animal. And so in order to uh, get these animals, you had to hunt them. And then you had to uh, kill them and take their hides. And so one of the melachot is shochet. Now, often in the summer, in hot countries, we haven't really had this problem so much here in England over the last over the summer, but normally when it's hot, you have problems with uh, mosquitoes and different creatures which try to interrupt your sleep during the night. And so, what would you say? Based on what we've learned in the first three shiurim in the Kalepsika, I have, I'm trying to sleep and I have this um, uh, fly, this mosquito, which is constantly bothering me. It's uh, not letting me sleep. Am I allowed to um, trap it and kill it on Shabbat or not? What would you say? Again, using what we have learned in the, in the first three shiurim. You're not trapping it because you want it. So I would say it's a worse malachash and atzachal gufa. Okay. So can you, kill it? can you kill it as well? Um, if it spreads disease. If it's what? If it spreads disease, then... If it's oh. if it has a disease, what? Sorry. Um, mosquitoes spread disease. So. Oh, okay. Um, so assuming there's no sakana involved, assuming there's no sakana involved. Um, so, if it's causing you harm, you can trap it and kill it. Why do you say that, Zev? Why can you trap it and kill it? So Shohan Aruch says 
number one on the source sheet. Um, I don't know if you received it, but the source sheet's here on the screen. Um, but Shohan Aruch says, Parosh, Anikra, Bargut, okay, a flea. Asur Latsudo, Elaim Kenwa Besarov, Octova, Asula Horgo. So this fly, or this mosquito, whatever it is, you are not allowed to trap it unless it's on your flesh and it is stinging you or it's going to sting you, the poskim explain. But nonetheless, it's forbidden to kill it. So this is interesting. Why is it? So like you correctly said, Simon, you don't want it. So you're right. It's a melacha shena You're not doing it for the purposes of using it, but you can only, it's a drabana. So you can only do that if you if it's you know if it's causing you pain it's it's about it's about to sting you but even in such a case you're only allowed to trap it you're not allowed to kill it why would there be a distinction between trapping it and killing it if it's on your flesh and about to sting you why am i allowed to trap it and not to kill it so this unless anyone wants to suggest this underscores what we said in the second shiur that the surdra banan of melacha sheina tzicha is far more severe than all other Isurei de Rabbanan. And like I said, we don't use as an Isur de Rabbanan in its plain sense ordinarily in El Chod Shabbat. And therefore, when it comes to trapping them, there is a principle in El Chod Tzad that the Torah only forbade to trap animals which which are commonly hunted and trapped. Animals which are ain Creatures which are in beminonitzod, which are not commonly uh, tra- trapped, then that's only a source from the hachamim. The Torah only forbade things like deers, like ca- the kinds of animals which people commonly hunt. But if it's the type of creature which is not commonly hunted, then it's only a sumidrabana. Therefore, because it's a sumidrabana, when there's great sar involved, where it's on your flesh, it's about to sting you, then hachamim said, We will waive this isurdrabana. And we will allow you to trap it. However, when it comes to shochet, you're killing it. Now, you're right, as you correctly said, Simon, it won't be any surdoraita because you're not killing it in order to use it in the Mishkan. They killed the animals in order to use their hides. Here, you're not killing the fly in order to use it, you're killing it to get rid of it. That they didn't allow, even if there's tsar involved. You see the difference? So it's the same action you're doing, you, you know, the same problem which we have. We have this fly here, which is causing me trouble, and it's about to hurt me. I'm allowed to trap it, but I can't kill it. I'm allowed to, tra- and they're both isurayd rabbanan. If I trap it and kill it, they're both isurayd rabbanan. So why would the hachamim allow one? Why does Shukhan Aruch allow one, but not allow the other? Because there's a difference in level of Isud Rabbanan. With Tzad, it's a regular Isud Rabbanan. Really, the Torah never forbade to trap a fly. That's not on the Torah's radar. Hachamim came and forbade it. Therefore, when there's Tzar involved, we'll allow it. Whereas killing is really a sur from the Torah. And killing this fly, if you intended to use this fly which you killed, it would be a sur from the Torah. You're not intending to use it. Nonetheless, it's still not permissible to uh, uh, kill it because the Isud Rabbanan of Melacha is far more severe. Of course, don't forget, according to Rambam, like we learned, it's a Sur from the Torah. So obviously, according to the Rambam, it would be a Sur. 
even according to Shuhana Ruch, who is Posek, that it's, a, that it's only Midrabbanan, it's still going to be Asur because of what we said, because of the severity of this Isudra Banan, it wouldn't be allowed. So again, we see this, this principle of the severity of Malachash Sheinat Sechal Gufa, why uh, you're allowed to trap the, the fly, but you won't be allowed to kill it. And therefore, Halachal Maaseh, you know, you're, if, if the flies are just there and they're not actually on your body, then you wouldn't be allowed to trap it. If, however, they're actually on you, then you're allowed to trap it and get rid of it, but not actually kill it. But then, what do I do if it's really bothering me? You know, it's not actually on my body and I can't sleep and there are a number of mosquitoes around in the room. What can I do? So would it be permissible? Again, let's hear your thoughts. Would it be permissible for me to spray on them, uh, to, to, to spray them with a uh, with spray? Would it be permissible for me to spray them? <clears throat> so it would definitely be mutar to spray in the air and then, if some of them die, then good. And if not, not. Why would that be mutar? Because that would be a regular, what we learned, davar shalomit kaben. That was the first shiur which we covered. I'm not intending, um, I'm just spraying in the air. Um, I don't necessarily intend to kill them. I just want to get rid of them, right? If you intend to kill them, that would be something else. I just want to spray them to get rid of them. And if they, if they die, then fine. If they don't die, it's Davash Shalomit Kaven, that would be permissible to do. To spray directly on them, directly, so seemingly that would be Asur. However, th that would be Asur. That would be Asur. Now, you, isn't that Psik the spraying? Um, I would say that's, that's more... So, sorry, what's the question, Abuka? What do you mean by is an epsikreshe? Therefore, should be asur or should be mutar? So, okay. So, in such a case, you could spray, uh, okay, you could spray um, around them and cause them to go out, but not directly on them because that lechora would be uh, an act of shochet. Now, when it comes to, uh, when it comes, to let's say you have a um, some insects in the let's say you have some insects in the uh, in the sink okay you need to do some washing up you need to use the sink to get a cup of water and there are insects in the there are insects in the sink and by uh, switching the tap on you will be killing directly killing these um, insects or would you be allowed to switch on the tap in order to do the washing up in order to get a drink of water, if you have insects at the bottom of the tap. Any, again, according to what we've learned in the past, applying what we've learned, what would you say in such a case? Any suggestions? So Hacham and the Shevet HaLevi, it's on the source sheet, the exact sources, they discuss a similar question um, and we have to take what they what they say and apply it to this question. So they talk about a situation where you have flies or insects in the toilet. And you want to flush the toilet, but you know by doing so, you're going to kill these creatures in the toilet. And as we've explained, killing is gufa. So would it be permissible to do so or not? And they both allow it for a number of reasons, in total, five reasons. 
Let's go through them. And again, these are important to understand the exact rationale because there are principles here. So starting point is we always, when deciding whether something is mutar or asur, we first have to say what level of isur it would be if asur. So the first thing we have to establish is that this is not going to be an isur doraita. This will at worst be a melacha sheina tzrichal gufa, because I don't intend to use the insects which are going to be in the toilet. So that's, we already brought it down to an isur drabbana. Next thing is, they want to argue, it's not definitely a psikreshe. It may only be a grammar. The reason being is, psikreshe would be that when I flush the chain, that directly, the, the stream of water directly kills the insects. If, however, because there, I flushed the chain, there's more water, therefore the insects drown, what would that be considered? What would we call that? Come on, guys. Grammar. Okay, that would be called grammar. And like we learned in the first or second shiur, grammar definitely, there's a loss or any tsar or any kavoda briot involved, is certainly mutar. Some even allow grammar straight out. So you could argue, again, this would depend on the extent of how many there are, but you could argue that doing so isn't a psikreshe, it's only a grammar. Then there's a third svara, which is a very important svara. And that's this idea. It's, it really goes down to the bones of what psikreshe means. They argue that it's only a mitasek. What does that mean, mitasek? That means that even, even if you want to say it's a psikreshe, meaning even if you want to say that inevitably by me flashing the chain, it will kill the insects, still it would be mutar. For the following reason, let me ask you a different question. Are you allowed to walk down the street knowing that walking on this side of the street, you will cause, you're walking past the house. There are lampposts on the street, so you don't need the light. You can see where you're going. You're walking down the street on Friday night, and you know this house, whenever you walk past, the light goes on. Are you allowed to walk past that light on Shabbat, or are you obligated to cross the road and not go past this uh, light sensor? No, you're not allowed to. What does that mean, Zev? You are allowed to, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to. Why are you not allowed to? Sikreshe. It's inevitable. You're causing it to come on. Now, let's leave aside that it's probably Sikreshe bidirabbanan, because electricity is dirabbanan. But even imagine, let's even imagine that there is a, a doraita light there. Okay, there's a filament light there. So it's, it's a doraita. It's a, a hot electricity which is a Doraita, so it's a Psikre Shebi Doraita. Let's see. No. Okay, but Simon, even Lonihale, it will be an Isur Doraita. Assuming it's an Isur Doraita, yeah, it's a kind of light. Right. Even if it's Lonihale, it will still be Asur. Nonetheless, some poskim allow it on the following logic. The idea is, is that there are some Melachot, some actions which you do, which are so far removed from the consequence that even though it's an, an inevitable consequence of your action, it's not asur. It's only mitasek. Even though I'm walking past, and I know by walking past, the light's going to come on, that's not psikreshe, that's mutar. Why? What's the logic? The logic is as follows. And it's, this is really important. The Rashba writes that if you, have a, if you have a room, and you know there's a deer there, but you have... You, you want to close the door. 
The Rashba says you're allowed to do so, and it's not considered trapping. And everyone asks him, asks him why is this not Psik Rasheh? And the, it's all the same question. And the reason is as follows. Psik Rasheh is when you're actually doing a melacha, but not for the normal consequence of the melacha. So the classical case of Psik Rasheh is you cut the head of the chicken, and you say, I don't want to kill it. I just want to play with the, the head of the ball. So there, which action are you doing? You are doing an action of shohet, right? You are actually doing an action of slaughtering. You are cutting, beheading the chicken. However, you're saying, I don't want it to die. I just want to play with it. So there, where you're doing an action of shohet, we say, you can't say, I'm not going to take into account the consequences that it's going to die. I just want to play football with it, right? The reality is, you're doing an act of shohet, psikresha, you're going to kill it, asur. Another example, which we talked about last week. I want, I'm in the garden and I want to do Nitilat Yadayim. So I'm pouring water on my hands underneath this grass. That's Asur. That's a Psikreshe. Why? Because when you're pouring, you're doing an act of watering. You're watering your hands. That's your intention. Psikreshe, inevitably, this will cause the water to go on the grass and water it. That's Asur. Psikreshe. You understand? You're doing an action of slaughtering. You're doing an action of watering. You're doing it saying it's not going to happen, it's going to water, I'm doing it to wash my hands, I'm, I'm not, it's not going to kill, I'm doing it just to play with it, doesn't matter. When, however, I am walking down the street and the inevitable consequence is that I will be, I will make a light come on and transgress mav'ir, but my action of walking down the street isn't an act of mav'ir, it's an action of walking down the street. When I have the deer in the room and I want to close the room, I am not doing, I am doing an act of closing the door, which isn't intrinsically something which is sad, you could argue. That's a bit more difficult. But you, do you see the difference between the two cases? One is where you're doing a melacha. You're doing a melacha of shohet. You're doing a melacha of zoreya. You're doing it though to water your hands, to wash your hands, to, uh, to, to play with the, with the chicken's head. That's where we say psik is asur. But when I am doing another action, and the action itself, intrinsically, there is nothing wrong with it, it's not an actual melacha in itself, that you could consider to be a mitasek. I am involved in walking. The lights will inevitably come on, and mav'ir will be transgressed, but that doesn't fall under, under psikreshe. There's nothing, Rob, there's nothing wrong with washing one's hands. But the action of pouring on top of grass is an action of watering. The action of taking a knife and cutting the head of a chicken is an action of slaughtering. Walking down the street and the light coming on, that's not an action of mav'ir, which is psikreshe, the light will come on. I'm doing an action of walking. That, some argue, doesn't fall under the gather of psikreshe. Now, that's a mahloket. But the poskim do rely on this. Uh, to walk past light sensors, many poskim do rely on this. Rabosna did rely on this. To to walk down the street, again, if you have intention and you want it to come on, it's dark on the street. Then obviously it will be asur, because then you can't really say it's psikreshe because you're going to have some intention for it if you know about it. But I've got the lamppost. I'm walking down the street. I don't need it. I'm walking past for three seconds. I know it comes on, but I don't really care about it. There's no reason to have to switch and cross and and and, and not walk past it. Using that same logic, both Hawbadiyah says and the Rebbe also say the same thing is that, again, 
I am doing an act of flushing. I'm doing an act of just flushing the chain. Yes, Sikrashem may be that it's going to kill creatures, but that's not an act of shohet within itself, if you see what I mean. You're doing an act of flushing. It will kill the creatures in the toilet. But that's not, that may arguably, that may not really be a psikrishe. Does everyone understand this distinction? And we see this is brought down already quite early by the Rava Magid on the source sheet. I won't go into the exact, there's two cases here, but there's just one case he talks about here. If you cut a, um, if you cut a piece of wood to make a, a toothpick, that's makeba patish. But let's say I'm just playing and I just cut, I just cut the, the toothpick. That no one considers to be asur. It's not psikrashe. Even though you could argue that by cutting it, I'm making a toothpick. But I've got no intention in it. That's called mit asek. That's just I'm just doing action of breaking the, 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 the piece of wood. So that's not going to be a makeba patish. Look what he says here. Um this is Rav Magid. So you have this principle that sometimes something can be so far removed from the consequence that even though it's inevitable, it may still not be a psikreshe. So that's another reason they add to say that it's going to be a, a mutar to do so. Does everyone understand? I don't want to ask on that, but it's an important idea. Let me just finish off and I'll take questions. Um, and uh, they say, fourthly, is that you have kavoda beriot here. Obviously, you want to flush the chains, kavoda beriot. And kavoda beriot is so important that we even allow melacha shenatzicha legufa. So this is in contradistinction to what we began the shiur with when we said in Isur de Rabbanan is not over of Melachash and Gufa is not overridden if there's pain if there's Kavoda Beriot involved then it is overridden like we see in the Shulchan Aruch uh, on the source sheet where he says that it's forbidden to rub saliva on the ground with your foot because you're smoothing the crevices but you may step on it in a mindless fashion as intentional to smooth it and even though it's nevertheless permitted because it's repulsive. So you're walking down and you see this huge piece of phlegm. And by rubbing the phlegm into the ground, you're going to be mashregumot. You're going to be, you're going to smooth the crevices in the, in the earth. So really not allowed to do that. I have no intention. I'm not going to be using this earth. So it's malachash, it's chalugufa. It's asur. But because of kavodah beriyot, because of the me'usutah, the repulsiveness, of this phlegm, you're allowed to do so. So you see, we even allow something so severe when you have mi'us, when you have something repulsive involved. And so this would be another reason to allow. And one final reason Havadia adds, which I think is debatable, is that he wants to argue that flushing a chain is only a grammar. Why? Because Ba'etzim, the toilet fills up straight away. Really, it should empty straight away. There's just a bar which is preventing the water from emptying out into the basin. By flushing, all you're doing is removing that bar and allowing water to come down. 
Now, that's arguable whether that's a grammar because this is koah rishon. This is your first input, meaning it's a direct consequence of you flushing. The bar is removed and the water comes down. So it's not so simple that would be classified as a grammar. But all in all, because of all these reasons, the poskim writes that one may flush the chain, even if there are creatures there. And even if it may inevitably be that you're going to be killing them, it would still be mutar because of number one, we're starting with the Malachash Shenet Gufa. Number two is, perhaps it's not a psikreshe, perhaps it may not happen. Even if it will happen, arguably this is a mitasek, meaning you're doing an action of flushing and not an action of killing creatures. Number four, kavoda beriot, you're allowed to do this. And number five, arguably this is also grama, it's only indirect because you're just removing the thing preventing the water from coming down. Is that clear? Any questions on that? Does everyone understand that distinction between the two kinds of psikreshe? It has a lot of applications. Now, when it, let's come back to the question we began with. If you now have uh, some insects in the, in the sink, um, now switching on, uh, opening the tap and um, allowing that to kill. So not all of the svarot which we have are there because there's no kavoda beriot here. In the toilet, there's kavoda beriot. There's no kavoda beriot here. Um, you may have the argument that it's not a vadai psikreshe. So this is more, this is less clear uh, whether this would be permissible. And therefore, the psak would be that if you would have another sink to use, that would be the correct thing to use. If, however, there's another thing to use, you need to wash your hands, then it would be mutar to do so because of the same reasons which we've given. But because this is, isn't the same exact scenario as the, what we've explained, you don't have all the criteria there, you do have melachash yitzhara gufa, you maybe it's you could argue perhaps if you're just opening the tap and it's not directly going on the creature, then you could say it would be mutar. Because then again, what's happening? The water's coming down, and then you're indirectly going to drown it. So that would be a grammar that would be permissible, like we've said. Whenever, whenever there's any need, grammar, the makom, whether there's a need, it's mutar. So you would have to weigh up these, you know, these these variables. But I just wanted to show you this, this teshuvah because of the important principles that there are here, which we've seen in when we do use it, when we don't use it. One final point with regards to this is washing infested vegetables on Shabbat. So many will tell you that you have to wash infested lettuce and vegetables before Shabbat um, because you're going to be killing the the insects whilst you're washing and rubbing and scrubbing it. So I don't think that's correct. And I'll tell you why. Firstly, most produce is not definitely infested. And so it's a davar shomit kaven. Because you may kill, you may not kill. There may not be creatures there at all. So you may not end up doing any, any act of killing the, the, the insects. Even if this is a heavily infested, um, uh, you know, lettuce, whatever it may be, you could still argue that this is only a safek psikreshe, which means true. If I see this, 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 uh, this piece of lettuce and it has an insect in it and I actually scrub it and kill it, and obviously that's a sur. That's clearly a sur because you've directly killed it. But if I know there are insects here in this, I don't know where it's, where they are, and I'm just rubbing, that would fall into what we learned as safek psikreshe, which means 
if there is an insect here, then I will be killing it by scrubbing the leaf. I don't know if there's an insect here or not. You understand? That's more than a davar shenomit kaven. Davar shenomit kaven means it may be, may not be. It may be infested, it may not be infested. Even if it is infested, I don't intend to kill it. Therefore, it's mutar, I'm not mitkaven for it. That's definitely mutar. Here we're talking about where it's even definitely infested. If I can clearly see the creatures, 100% I'll be asur. If I don't know if there are creatures there or not, I just know generally this is an infested batch of produce, then every action which I am doing is safek psikreshet. If there are creatures there, it's a psikreshe. If there are creatures there, then it's mutar. So when we said safek psikreshe, we hold the halakha is mutar. And therefore, this would be a reason to even, um, to even uh, uh, wash the infested veg vegetables on Shabbat itself. Obviously, if it's better to do it before Shabbat. So you have to enter this, these doubts. But if you didn't have a chance to do so, it would be permissible to do so even on on Shabbat itself. Now, we know very clearly that it's forbidden, the Gemara tells us it's forbidden to wound someone on Shabbat, even yourself. And there is a Mahlokit Rishonim why it's forbidden to draw blood on Shabbat. So the majority of the Rishonim understand that the problem is because of Shohet. Because of the melacha which we are learning, because the pasuk says in Pashat Haremot, ki adam nafish, the blood is our life, and so by extracting blood, or even by bruising someone where the blood comes to to the top of the skin, um, that would be in isur of shohet. If you needed the blood, then it would be if you didn't need it, then it'll be the Rambam, however, understands it differently. He says that the problem with um, blood is not because of shochet, um, but because of dash. He says it's a kind of extracting because he says if you injure any living creature which has skin, you're extracting the tolada of dash. Obviously, if you need the blood, then it'll be chayam. If not, it'll be drabanan. So Rambam was, uh, Rambam held it's only a sud rabbanan, a majority of Rishonim held it's doraita. Now, either way, it's asur, either because of dash or because of um, shohet. And here we have to discuss with regards to brushing teeth on Shabbat. Is a person allowed to brush one's teeth on Shabbat? And is it mutar even to use toothpaste on Shabbat to brush one's teeth? So let's start with just using a toothbrush without using toothpaste. Just using toothbrush with water. Is that mutar to do on Shabbat? What could be the potential problems and is it mutar or not? What would be your, what would be your thoughts? Using a toothbrush without toothpaste on Shabbat. Mutar, Asur, on what basis, what, what, what would be the pro potential problematic issue? It's, it's Mutar, but the problematic issue would be causing your teeth to bleed, your gums to bleed. So it's Mutar. What about, thank you, Yosef, what about the potential issue of extracting the water from the, between the strands of the toothbrush? Perhaps that's a tolada of dash. We just learned that extracting is um, a tolada of dash. 
So let's go through this stage by stage. The good point you said about the bleeding, let's go through this one by one. So one potential issue is the fact that, you know, you, you wash your toothbrush, it's got water in it, and you're brushing. And whilst you're brushing, you're causing the water within the toothbrush to become extracted. Firstly, that would never be any sort of Torah, because dash only applies to something which fully absorbs. Something which is only caught in between strands is at worst a surmid rabbanan. This is why drying one's hair on Shabbat, yeah, even if you properly dry your hair on Shabbat, that would only be a surmid rabbanan because the hair doesn't actually absorb the water. It just gets caught in between the different strands of hair. Similarly, the water gets caught in between the different strands of the toothbrush. So that, at worst, it is surd rabbanan. And the principle is when you have a um, when you have an act of squeezing like that and you have a handle, then it's mutar. Johanna Ruch writes on the source sheet. Oh, it's not. Here we are. Sfog el mekanhinba el aimken yeshu bet ahiza gezira shema yishot. If you have a sponge, you're allowed to use it if it has a handle. Because if it has a handle, it's no longer a psikreshe that you're going to be squeezing out. Yeah? You're using the handle and you're brushing. It's not a psikreshe that you're going to end up squeezing out from the strands of the toothbrush. So that would, would not be an issue. Um, but as Yosef correctly said, you have the problem of bleeding. So again, using the principles which we've learned, if this would be a psikreshe every single time you um, every single time you brush your teeth, the blood is drawn and you cause yourself to bleed, then that would be in Isur. That would be Melachash in Gufa. And that would be Asur Midrabbanan. I would not be Mutar. If, however, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't happen. Even if 80% of the time it happens, 20% of the time it doesn't happen, it would still be Mutar because this would be Davashlam Kaven. You don't intend for it to bleed. You don't need it to bleed. Davashlam Kaven. And therefore would be permissible. So that, that's what it, and the same comes with regards to flossing teeth as well. If you have very sensitive gums and every time you floss, you bleed, then that in Achanami, that would not be mutar to be done on Shabbat because that would be a melechah gufa. But if however, it doesn't always happen, even if it does happen, you are safe because it's a davar sheinomit kaven and would be mutar. You do not need, Ashkenazim will tell you that you need to designate a Shabbat, Shabbat's toothbrush. Um, there's no need to designate Shabbos toothbrush as long as, uh, you know, that's fine. You can use the toothbrush with water, no problem at all. Are you allowed to use toothpaste? So seemingly, the problem with using toothpaste would be that you're doing memareah. You are smoothening the toothpaste on your teeth. Right? That's what, that, that's what, you, that's what the point of the toothpaste is, that you apply it all over your teeth and you smooth the paste over the teeth, and this would be one of the toladot of, this would be one of the melachot memareach, tolad memahek. To smooth out would be a isur. Ha'ovadiyah famously though in Yabiyah Omer, it's on the source sheet, the exact teshuvah, he allowed it, and he brought a few proofs to show that the isur of memareach is only when you are smoothing, some, smoothing something out and you want what you are going to be smoothing out. So classical example in the Gemara is you have a barrel 
with a hole and you take the wax and you use the wax and you um, cover up the hole with the wax. So there you want what you are doing. You want what you are sealing and you want the smoothening of the, of, of the, um, of the wax. When, however, you have no, absolutely no intention in the smoothening and it's for such a short time, and it's for such a short time, then um, that does not fall under memoreh. It's not just not psikreshe. It just doesn't fall under the category of He brings various proofs for this. That it doesn't fall under memoreh at all, and therefore that would be permissible. And that's why Havadia does allow um, a person to use toothbrush, to use a toothbrush, and to use toothpaste on Shabbat. I must say that many disagreed with this. Using the toothbrush with water is is basically fine according to the, many. But with toothpaste, many argued that the memareh halisa drabbanan from Vadiyadu did allow it, and uh, therefore it's mutar for Sfaradim for Ham to use uh, to brush one's teeth on Shabbat morning with toothpaste. That brings us to the end of Shohet. Are there any questions on Shohet before we move on to Dash? I want to talk about Dash now. Any questions on Shohet? Start a new topic now. No, is that clear? Yes, Hannah. Go ahead. I don't question. know. This is this is appropriate at this moment in time, but this connects to the example of you gave with the mosquitoes, you know, on Shabbat. So let's say let's say it's not a mosquito. Let's say it's another insect that if that insect bit you, it may, it may you may may not. Let's say you have allergy to I don't know to bees or it, it's a, something like that. So you don't know whether it will, it's really pikuachnefesh because it doesn't mean necessarily will die, but it will cause you great harm or it will be a problem, like you might need medical attention or whatever. Does, does, that, does that change? How does that change the discussion? Yeah, it's a good question. The, the, if there is any chance, like Simon earlier said on of infection and disease, <clears throat> then that potentially is, is uh, sakana, and that potentially would be pikuachnefesh or the mutar. Um, if the worst, medically speaking, the worst that can happen would be some great lot of pain, then that would not be permissible. But it have to, mm-hmm. So it depends whether... Mm-hmm. It depends if it's just... Again, it's very difficult to divorce these two from each other, pain and sakana. I'll give you a great right. example. Mm-hmm. For example, sakana, we know a threat to a person's life, Sakanat ever on Shabbat. So let's say a person has a sakana to his limb. He's going to lose his leg. There is absolutely no chance of risk to the person's life. Halakha is, and this is Hanaruch, you cannot do any suddoraita. You can ask a guy, you can do the rabbanans yourself, but you yourself cannot do any suddoraita. You would not be allowed to get into your own car and drive your own car to the hospital. Still right. Really? Even if it meant however, losing a... Even though you're definitely going to lose your leg. Because oh. there's no sakana. However, today, this isn't halakha, by the way, just in case. <laughs> because today, in medicine, we've been told that any so much loss of blood, the risk of a limb, even just a oh. finger, is a danger to your life. So therefore, every sakanat <laughs> ever is sakanat hayim. But in mm-hmm. essence, if it was possible to divorce the two and to, to know for sure that there's only a risk to mm-hmm. the limb here and there is absolutely no risk to life, it would not be mutare pseudoraita. Mm-hmm. We but don't know that today. Question, but if it's a question, if then... It's a question, yes, which is why we allow today, or a sakanat ever, a person's lost his finger, he can do doraita. Mm-hmm. Right? 
because we could record now sometimes i really struggle with it because you don't always know whether something is exactly going doesn't to be matter if there's a chance there's a chance like they, they, they said about what's about of chaim of brisk that he was uh, very mahmir they was when he came to yom kippur he was very lenient he told people straight out to break their fast and they asked him you know you're so mahmir always what happened to you he said i'm extremely mahmir i'm, I'm consistent i'm mahmir in pikwah nefesh Okay, let's move on now to Dash, our second Melacha for today. So Dash, and I, here there's two major differences between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim. Dash is the fifth Melacha, and it means to extract something, ed, uh, something from an inedible case. Um, aren't you allowed to do a Melacha for a Chole? Not a door, right? Depends what kind of Chole, Rob, uh, Zev. Uh, if it's a uh, if it's a hole she'en bo sakana, you can ask a go to do the orator. You yourself can do a drabbanan, but you can't do a orator. Hole she'en bo sakana. Absolutely, absolutely not. Now, dash. Dash means to extract something from its from its its case. So in the in the mishkan, they they would remove the seeds from the pods around it. That's the essence of uh, of dash. All kinds of threshing is. The Melacha from the Torah. Now, as I said, there are two major distinctions here between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim, and one comes with regards to squeezing fruit on Shabbat. So, Rambam tells us, it's read in the Gemara, that squeezing uh, fruits, grapes, and olives on Shabbat is an Isur from the Torah. So, to squeeze an olive or to squeeze a grape for its juice is a Melacha from the Torah. It's a Melacha. It's a tolada of mefarek, of dash, extracting, and therefore that's a sur. Hachamim said that tutim vrimonim, strawberries and pomegranates, they are, from the Torah's perspective, they are allowed to be squeezed, but hachamim forbade it. Why? What is the difference? Why are you uh, not allowed to squeeze zetim and anavim, grapes and olives, but you are allowed to squeeze? So the main explanation given for this is the Mahok Rishonim on this, but the main explanation in the Rishonim is that the Torah only classifies a liquid as something as important as olive oil or grape juice, which is why we only make special berachot on these juices. Yeah, the berakha of fruit juice is she'akol. The berakha for olive juice and juice of grapes is hagefen and the special berakha we have. So really... Um, uh, these are the only kinds of liquids which constitute a liquid, and therefore it's considered that you are extracting a liquid from its encasement of the solid of the fruit. However, to timurimoni, strawberries and pomegranates, these kinds of fruits, even if you make a juice from it, those liquids are not considered a liquid in their own right. Therefore, even if you want to make a liquid and make a juice from it, it's only a so from the hachamim. Okay, now we know that everyone agrees to, and therefore today, if you squeeze olives and you squeeze grapes, a sur from the Torah. If, however, you squeeze apples, you squeeze oranges, you make orange juice, you squeeze uh, uh, strawberries, pomegranate juice, that's a sur from the hachamim. There are kinds of fruits which are so uncommonly squeezed, it's mutar to squeeze them. So I, I remember, I'll never forget this, I was once giving a shiur in a person's house on Shabbat afternoon, and I was talking about this, and I said, you know, I went through, there's three categories. There's the Timan Anavim Doraita, there's Drabbanan, there is, uh, you know, strawberries, apples, and oranges. And then there are things which are mutar, perhaps carrot juice, melon juice, these kinds of things, melon juice. 
And there she was, this lady, she on the table was melon juice, right? <laughs> yeah. So she, uh, she um, uh, you know, had some, some kind, you know, some health things and she would be very careful, you know, she would drink melon juice. But I still don't think that would be sufficient to make that something which is commonly squeezed. And therefore, I still believe that would be mutar. Um, so Shohana Ruch writes in Shin Chaf, uh, in Shin Yudzayin, in Shin Chaf, sorry, Shin Chaf, he writes, the team van Avim Asur Sahtan, Ushar Kola Perot, Vitutim Rimonim, strawberries and pomegranates for Sumidra Banan, Ushar Kola Perot, Sahtan, any other fruit which is not commonly squeezed, then that's mutar to squeeze. So things like, uh, yeah, so you have to use a common sense. Apples would obviously be drabbanan. What would you say with regards to lemons? Are you allowed to squeeze lemons on Shabbat, uh, make lemon juice and add some sugar to it, make some lemonade, or you squeeze, you have lots of guests and you want to squeeze some lemon juice to be able to pour into the tea? Are you allowed to do that on Shabbat? So, Nashkenazim, so Zev. So obviously, if it's onto a solid, it's mutar. Good point. If it's onto a solid, I'll come to that in a moment. Um, so the Bet Yosef writes, after talking about the different fruits, you write, I see people around me who are squeezing lemons into a cup which has sugar at the bottom, and there's uh, water there. There's no problem. He says, no one has any problem with this. Everyone's doing it. So there must be a reason for this. So he gives two reasons. It's only forbidden when you're drinking the juice without a mixture of anything else. Meaning, according to the first answer, that which the hachamim prohibited you to squeeze various liquids is because you may come to squeeze zetim and anavim. But zetim and anavim classically are squeezed for their pure juice. You squeeze olives and you have pure olive oil. You squeeze grape, grape juice. Um, the other fruits which the hachamim forbade are fruits in which you drink them just for their juice. Lemon juice, however, nobody squeezes them just to drink lem pure lemon juice. It's always going to be mixed with something else. And therefore, that was never part of the Gezerah of the Hachami. That's the first answer he gives. Inami, or It's only a problem, the Hachami only forbade squeezing drinks when they are typically squeezed and then you add stuff after. If, however, it's commonly done that you only squeeze it into something else, it's muta. And therefore, he says, because of these two reasons, it's permissible to squeeze lemons. And that's why nobody in Egypt had a problem with it. Now, the difference between these two answers is very important because today, already in the times of the Hayyeh Adam, 200 years ago, Mishnah Barak quotes this, people were squeezing lemons just squeezing lemons, and then later on adding something to it. So, if you go with the first answer, that Hachamim only forbade liquids which are drunk by themselves, 
yeah, today, of course, apple juice and orange juice all have all kinds of additives. But in essence, you want, you want proper orange juice, you get pure orange juice. You squeeze oranges just for orange juice, you have it plain, right? Whereas lemons, no one will do that. You're always going to mix it with some sugar or something else. According to the second answer, though, the only reason why Mitzrayim in Egypt was permissible was because um, they always squeezed it onto something, right? They added something together with it. And that's why it's mutaf. Now the Ashkenazim, the Mishnah Barua, took on like the second reason. And therefore they say that today you're not allowed to squeeze lemons. Even though the Shuhana Aruch writes quite clearly, one of the shortest seifim in the whole of Shuhana Aruch, it's good to remember this seif. Uh, if anyone ever asks you what's the shortest seif in Shuhana Aruch, you could probably give this answer and you'd probably be right. This is in 326. Mutar is hot lemons. It's permissible to squeeze lemons, full stop. Uh, no clarification, certain, no, you know, it doesn't qualify this. Uh, uh, he says straight out it's mutar. And therefore, Havadia uh, and many others say that according to Maran, he relied on his first reason. And of course, here we're talking about a safek de Rabbanan, don't forget. Because this is a lemon. This is not a safek de Oraita. This is a safek with regards to the Rabbanan. And therefore, safek de Rabbanan, Shuhana Aruch relied on his first uh, reasoning and um, allowed it because lemons are typically not, the juice is not drunk by itself, rather with something else, and therefore this was never part of the gezerah of the hachamim. Therefore, the halakha, one may squeeze a lemon and make lemon juice on Shabbat. To use it, to pour into your tea, or just to make lemon juice, to add sugar to it afterwards, wherever it may be, it's absolutely mutar to do so. Shkanazim, however, do not squeeze lemons. Um, they will only do it onto a solid because of the principle. It's a different principle, this. Which means when you squeeze something directly onto a food and it gets absorbed by the food, then you consider it a food. So therefore, when you are squeezing, let's say, a lemon onto a salad, then we don't look at it as lemon juice coming out of a solid lemon. Rather, we look at it as you're cutting the lemon into two pieces because the lemon is being absorbed and, and, and squeezed onto the solid. Therefore, it's considered that what comes out, the lemon juice comes out as a solid. Therefore, it's two solids. You're cutting up two solids, and therefore, that's mutar. So even Ashkenazim allow that. But for us, Faradim, to squeeze a lemon, even if it's not on a solid, even into your tea, is absolutely mutar on Shabbat. Okay. One final point we will discuss before we end. Um, one final point we'll discuss before we end. And this, again, is applicable in the summer months. And again, a big distinction between Sephardim and Ashkenazim. So the Gemara says on the source sheet, in Shabbat, One's not allowed to crush snow or hail so that you can use its water. However, you can put the snow or the hail into a cup of water and it melts of its own accord and therefore it's mutar. So, Hachamim came along and they said that you're not allowed to take a clod of snow or hail and actually crush it to make a liquid from it. What's the problem? What's the issue with that? So here we have a Mahlokit Vishonim. Rashi and the Rambam. Rashi says on the Gemara, Rashi says it's comparable to a melacha 
that you are creating this water. So it's not really you're creating anything. It's not really makebe patish, because all you're doing is just changing it from a solid to a liquid. But it's similar. It's like you're doing like you're doing a melacha. You're creating this water, and therefore hachamim forbade it because of its similarity to makebe patish. Rambam didn't learn like this though. You see from the Rambam clearly, from the where he puts. That's another big clue in learning Rambam. You have to always see the context and the chapter in which he's putting the halakha. He puts this halakha of not squeezing and not crushing the snow in the same halakhot of dash. And therefore it's clear Harambam understood the problem to be one of, not of makeba patish, but rather one of dash, in that just like dash, you extract a liquid from a solid, the juice from the case of the fruit. So to when you crush an ice cube, it's similar to extract, it's not really, you're not really extracting because what you're doing is changing the solid to the liquid. But it's similar to extracting and therefore it's a soup. These are the two reasons given by Rashi in the Rambam. There is a third reason given by the Sefer Hatteruma. Rabbeinu Baruch Bar Itzhak, who was from France in 12th century, uh, one of the big poskim uh, for the Ashkenazi and the Rama. He says a completely different reason. And he says, the reason why you can't crush has got nothing to do with dash, nothing to do with makebe patish. Rather, it's a problem of nolad. What's nolad? Nolad is a subcategory of muktzeh. Something new has been created on Shabbat which didn't exist when Shabbat began. Now, this is very difficult because the ice cube was here. The piece of hail was here. Um, but nonetheless, by creating this water now, it's as if you have caused the new thing to be to be made. What is the nafkamina between these two reasons? A big nafkamina, which is the halakha. Can I take out on Shabbat afternoon, hot summer's day, can I take out a tray of ice cubes, <clears throat> put it on the Shabbat table, and just leave it on the table? Leave it for an hour. Within an hour, these ice cubes will... Uh, Hannah, will, that will answer in a moment, okay? Um, you, take the, you take the ice cubes and leave them on the... Which, well, I want to finish by 9.30, so I'm going to quickly finish now. Can you take these uh, uh, ice cubes, um, leave them on the table, and leave them to melt? So, according to Arambam, there's no problem. Because the problem is, is when you are squeezing, when you're crushing, it's similar to an act of extracting liquid from solid. According to Rashi, there's no problem either. The problem is, is that it looks like you're creating something new that you're crushing. It's you're doing something. If I just take it out and leave it on the table, it's fine. However, according to the Sefer Teruma, Rabbeinu Baruch, according to him, it's going to be a problem because a new thing is being created. True, it's not happening through your direct actions, but solid is changing to a liquid and that liquid is now a new thing and therefore that's a problem of nolad. So according to this, you would, according to him, you would not be allowed to take out ice cream and just leave them on the table and to melt off their own accord. Shohan Aruch rules in four places like the Rambam and not like the Baal Teruman. Four places he rules like him and in three of those four places the Ramah is Holek. So here this is talking in the context of Bishul. He says, the Shohan Aruch, you're allowed to put enfrinada, it's this kind of pastry with meat in between. You can put it next to the fire. I'm not going into the Bishul aspect now of it. 
ואף על פי שהשומן שבה שנקרש חוזר ונימוח, even though the fat, because it's next to the fire, it's going to cause it to melt, it's still mutar to do so. Ah, you are changing the solid to liquid, it's fine, it's not happening by you, it's happening by itself, it's mutar. Says the Ramah, ויש מחמירים ונהגו להחמיר. The minhag is to be mahmir, says the Ramah, based on the Ran who is quoting the Ba'la Teruma. And this happens in another three places. Well, Shonaruch in three other places rules again. It's that in two places, the Ramah is Holek. And so that's the Psaq for the Ashkenazim. They will not leave things out. To, they will not change a solid to a liquid, even if it's happening of its own accord. Um, so as I said, leaving ice cubes out on the table, leaving anything else to melt of its own accord, like the shuman, the fat, which is going to become a solid to a liquid, would be a sur. Or for example, you have sometimes, you know, you, you know, you take out food from the fridge on Shabbat morning, and you put it on the hot plate. We'll talk about that, but next week, because we're going to do bishul, our final shul, we'll do bishul. But can you take out from the fridge fish with sauce? That fish has been in the fridge over Shabbat, over Friday night. It's congealed. You put it on the hot plate, and that's now going to melt. It's going to change into a liquid. So Ashkenazim will tell you it's a sur. You're not allowed to. Because you are, even though it's happening indirectly, you're changing the solid to a liquid. For us, however, it's absolutely mutar because it's happening of its own accord. Only when you actually physically crush, you do it yourself, then is it a problem. But if it's happening by itself, it is not a problem. The opposite way round, to take liquid and to freeze it and to make, and I'll end with this, and to make ice cubes, uh, what's the halakha with that? So then again, according to Rambam, doesn't start the question because the whole problem was it's dash. You're squeezing something. You're extracting. Here it's opposite. According to Rashi as well, it's when you're doing a melakha, you're doing something, you're squeezing, it's dame lemakev pratish, it's similar. If I'm just putting water into the freezer, that's not called a melakha. According to the Balatirumah, the Ashkenazi scheme discuss, uh, even, even there they allow it. They say it was only one way around, not the other way around. Um, but for us, certainly, it would be absolutely mutar to do so. Um, Zev, I'll answer your question in a moment. Just to summarize what we've learned today, um, what we have seen is two major melachot, Shohet and Dash. In Shohet, we discussed various instances where you're allowed to trap or kill creatures if they're bothering you. We talked about killing creatures indirectly in the toilet or in the sink and washing vegetables, um, which are infested. We also talked about brushing one's teeth, even with toothpaste. And then in Dash, we talked about um, squeezing different fruit, but especially lemons and also crushing things. And the difference between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim when it comes to leaving things out to melt off their own accord. Um, that's, there was more to say, but that's basically what we'll end off with today. Bezat Hashem, next week we're going to do all about things in the kitchen. Bishul, Shia Hazara, all of that. That will be our final shiur before Hashanah. And then we'll have one extra shiur after the Chagim. And I will do one more shiur on principles. Um, so let's just take the questions before we end off. Rob, my personal experience with asking about melting gravy is that melting congealed fat is okay with conditions. Okay, that's the key sentence here with conditions. The condition I'll tell you is that the liquid. The, the melted liquid has to be absorbed into the solid. Do you understand? So just to leave ice cubes out, that will become liquid, and that's not mutar. If, however, you have, let's say, congealed fat on the top of soup, 
that will melt into the soup and it's not going to be discernible of its own accord, that's mutar. Because even according to the Ba'la Rumah, who holds you can't make something you know lad, that's only if it's discernible of its own, in its own status. If, however, it's mixed into something else and it's mutar. This is what the Gemara says. The Gemara says, You can put it into something else. If it's melting into something else, it's mutar. So Rob, when they told you that you're allowed to, uh, in certain conditions, the conditions were that what, what gets melted will not be discernible by itself. We'll have to get mixed into the food. Only then will it be mutar. If it congeals all by itself, it's not mixed into anything, Pashkanazim will be asur. Unless there's makom tzorich, then they rely on the main din of the Shulchan Aruch. Zev um, asks, why do some say it's not allowed? It wouldn't be grammar because it's narrated. I agree with you. But this isn't working us through a normal melacha. It's working through muktzeh. And muktzeh, we have a principle of nolad, even when it's happening indirectly. You're right. It's, you're not directly doing anything. And therefore, under the regular definitions of melachot, it wouldn't be a problem. Which is why for the Rabbah Rashi, it's no problem. But for this, is a new concept of new things being created. And even though it's being created by itself, it's a new thing. It's muktzeh now to use. And therefore, you shouldn't be making it because it can't be used. Okay, any other questions? Hazak Baruch, everyone. Lovely to see you again. We'll end off next next week. We'll have a final shiur. Uh, good to see you. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Nice to see you all back again. Hope you had a nice Shabbat. And here we are for our fifth shiur in this series of Echot Shabbat. We spent the first three shiurim going through the basic principles of psika. Had to be posek when it comes to Chot Shabbat. Uh, in the shul last week, we began discussing some of the melachot. And last week, we, we spent the majority of the shul discussing kosher and matir, which, uh, which go together. Um, and we explained the big differences between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim when it comes to kosher and matir, the different kinds of types of knots, how long. And we also went into Zorea as well. And today we want to continue to discuss three melachot. Shochet, literally slaughtering, uh, dash, threshing, and memareach, memachek, which basically means smoothening. And like I said last week, you know, Chot Shabbat is extensive. There is a lot to learn. So what we are doing are going through the main melachot, which... There are big differences between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim, number one. Number two, where there are misconceptions with regards to the Melachot. And number three, where we can apply the Klalei Psika, which we discussed in the first three weeks, where we can discuss them in practical Halachot. And that's what we're going to be doing this evening, Bezrat Hashem. We'll see a number of instances where we'll be applying what we've learned, and also some major differences between Sfaradim and Ashkenazim when it comes to the different Melachot. Okay, so let's begin with, and as, as always, feel free to ask anything as, as we go along. So, shochet. Shochet means to slaughter. And shochet was used in the Mishkan because in order to use the, um, in one of the roofs, the Mishkan had three or four roofs. And one of the roofs was made of the hides of the, of the tahashim and the elim of the rams and the tachash animal. 
And so in order to uh, get these animals, you had to hunt them, and then you had to uh, kill them and take their hides. And so one of the melachot is shochet. Now, often in the summer, in hot countries, we haven't really had this problem so much here in England over the last over the summer, but normally when it's hot, you have problems with uh, mosquitoes and different creatures which try to interrupt your sleep during the night. And so, what would you say? Based on what we've learned in the first three shiurim in the Kalepsika, I have, I'm trying to sleep and I have this um, uh, fly, this mosquito, which is constantly bothering me. It's uh, not letting me sleep. Am I allowed to um, trap it and kill it on Shabbat or not? What would you say? Again, using what we have learned in the, in the first three shiurim. You're not trapping it because you want it. So I would say it's a worse melachash and atzachal gufa. Okay. So can you kill it? Can you kill it as well? Um, if it spreads disease. If it's what? If it spreads disease, then. If it's uh, if it has a disease, what? Sorry. Um, mosquitoes spread disease, so. Oh, okay. Um, so assuming there's no sakana involved, assuming there's no sakana involved. Um, so, if it's causing you harm, you can trap it and kill it. Why do you say that, Zev? Why can you trap it and kill it? So Shohan Aruch says, number one on the source sheet. Um, I don't know if you received it, but the source sheet's here on the screen. Um, but Shohan Aruch says. Parosh, anikra bargut. Okay, a flea. Asur latsudo, elaim kenwa besarov, octova asur lahorgo. So this fly, or this mosquito, whatever it is, you are not allowed to trap it unless it's on your flesh and it is stinging you or it's going to sting you, the poskim explain. But nonetheless, it's forbidden to kill it. So this is interesting. Why is it? So, like you correctly said, Simon, you don't want it. So you're right, it's a melacha shina You're not doing it for the purposes of using it, but you can only, it's a drabana. So you can only do that if you, if it's, you know, if it's causing you pain, it's, it's, about, it's about to sting you. But even in such a case, you're only allowed to trap it, you're not allowed to kill it. Why would there be a distinction between trapping it and killing it if it's on your flesh and about to sting you? Why am I allowed to trap it and allowed to kill it? So this, unless anyone wants to suggest, this underscores what we said in the second shiur, that the Isur Drabbanan of Melacha Sheina Tzichal Gufa is far more severe than all other Isurei Drabbanan. And like I said, we don't use Melacha Sheina Tzichal Gufa as an Isur Drabbanan in its plain sense ordinarily in El Chod Shabbat. And therefore, when it comes to trapping them, there is a principle in El Chod Tzad, that the Torah only forbade to trap animals which which are commonly hunted and trapped. Animals which are ain creatures which are ain which are not commonly uh, trapped trapped, then that's only a source from the Hachamim. The Torah only forbade things like deers, like the kinds of animals which people commonly hunt. But if it's the type of creature which is not commonly hunted, then it's only a Sumidrabana. Therefore, because it's a sumi rabbana, when there's great tsar involved, where it's on your flesh, it's about to sting you, then Hachamim said, we will waive this isur rabbana and we will allow you to trap it. However, 
when it comes to shochet, you're killing it. Now, you're right, as you correctly said, Simon, it won't be any surda because you're not killing it in order to use it. In the Mishkan, they killed the animals in order to use their hides. Here, you're not killing the fly in order to use it. You're killing it to get rid of it. That they didn't allow, even if there's tsar involved. You see the difference? So it's the same action you're doing, you, you know, the same problem which we have. We have this fly here, which is causing me trouble, and it's about to hurt me. I'm allowed to trap it, but I can't kill it. I'm allowed to, and they're both Isuraid Rabbanan. If I trap it and kill it, they're both Isuraid Rabbanan. So why would the Hachamim allow one? Why does Shukhan Aruch allow one, but not allow the other? Because there's a difference in level of Isud Rabbanan. With Tzad, it's a regular Isud Rabbanan. Really, the Torah never forbade to trap a fly. That's not on the Torah's radar. Hachamim came and forbade it. Therefore, when the Tsar involved, we'll allow it. Whereas killing is really a sur from the Torah. And killing this fly, if you intended to use this fly which you killed, it would be a sur from the Torah. You're not intending to use it. Therefore, nonetheless, it's still not permissible to uh, uh, kill it because the Isud Rabbanan of Melacha Shina is far more severe. Of course, don't forget, according to Rambam, like we learned, it's a sur from the Torah. So obviously, according to the Rambam, it would be a sur. Even according to Shuhana Ruchu, it's posek, that, that it's only Midrabbanan, it's still going to be a sur because of what we said, because of the severity of this Isud Rabbanan, it wouldn't be allowed. So again, we see this, this principle of the severity of Melacha Gufa. Um, why uh, you're allowed to trap the, the fly, but you won't be allowed to kill it. And therefore, you know, you're, if, if the flies are just there and they're not actually on your body, then you wouldn't be allowed to trap it. If, however, they're actually on you, then you're allowed to trap it and get rid of it, but not actually kill it. But then, what do I do if it's really bothering me? You know, it's not actually on my body and I can't sleep and there are a number of mosquitoes around in the room. What can I do? So would it be permissible, again, let's hear your thoughts. Would it be permissible for me to spray on them, uh, to, to, to spray them with a uh, with spray? Would it be permissible for me to spray them? <clears throat> so it would definitely be mutar to spray in the air. And then if some of them die, then good. And if not, not. Why would that be mutar? Because that would be a regular, what we learned, that was the first shiur which we covered. I'm not intending, um, I, I'm just spraying in the air. Um, I don't necessarily intend to kill them. I just want to get rid of them, right? If you intend to kill them, that would be something else. I just want to spray them to get rid of them. And if they if they die, then fine. If they don't die, it's that would be permissible to do. To spray directly on them, directly, so seemingly that would be a sur. However, th that would be a sur. That would be a sur. Now, you, isn't that psikreshe, the spraying? Um, I would say that's, that's more. So, so, what's the question, Abuka? What do you mean by isn't it psikreshe? Therefore, it should be a sur or should be mutar? So, okay, so in such a case, you could spray, uh, okay, you could spray um, around them and cause them to go out, 
but not directly on them because that lechora would be uh, an act of shohait. Now, when it comes to uh, when it comes to let's say you have a um, some insects in the let's say you have some insects in the uh, in the sink. Okay, you need to do some washing up. You need to use the sink to get a cup of water. And there are insects in the there are insects in the sink. And by uh, switching the tap on, you will be killing directly killing these um, insects. Are, would you be allowed to switch on the tap in order to do the washing up, in order to get a drink of water, if you have insects at the bottom of the tap? Any again. According to what we've learned in the past, applying what we've learned, what would you say in such a case? Any suggestions? So Hakam and the Shevet HaLevi, it's on the source sheet, the exact sources, they discuss a similar question, um, and we have to take what they, what they say and apply it to this question. So they talk about a situation where you have flies or insects in the toilet. And you want to flush the toilet, but you know by doing so, you're going to kill these creatures in the toilet. And as we've explained, killing is So would it be permissible to do so or not? And they both allow it for a number of reasons, in total, five reasons. Let's go through them. And again, these are important to understand the exact rationale because there are principles here. So starting point is we always, when deciding whether something is mutar or asur, we first have to say what level of isur it would be if asur. So the first thing we have to establish is that this is not going to be an isur doraita. This will at worst be a melacha sheina tzrichal gufa, because I don't intend to use the insects which are going to be in the toilet. So that's, we already brought it down to an isur drabbana. Next thing is, they want to argue, it's not definitely a psikreshe. It may only be a grammar. The reason being is, psikreshe would be that when I flush the chain, that directly, the, the stream of water directly kills the insects. If, however, because there, I flushed the chain, there's more water, therefore the insects drown, what would that be considered? Well, what would we call that? Come on, guys. Grammar. Okay, that would be called grammar. And like we learned in the first or second shiur, grammar definitely, whether there's a loss or any tsar or any kavoda briot involved, is certainly mutar. Some even allow grammar straight out. So you could argue, again, this would depend on the extent of how many there are, but you could argue that doing so isn't a psikreshe, it's only a grammar. Then there's a third svara, which is a very important svara. And that's this idea. It, it really goes down to the bones of what psikreshe means. They argue that it's only a mitasek. What does that mean, mitasek? That means that even, even if you want to say it's a psikreshe, meaning even if you want to say that inevitably by me flashing the chain, it will kill the insects, still it would be mutar for the following reason. Let me ask you a different question. Are you allowed to walk down the street knowing that walking on this side of the street, you will cause, you're walking past the house, there are lampposts on the street, so you don't need the light, you can see where you're going, you're walking down the street on Friday night, and you know this house, 
Whenever you walk past, the light goes on. Are you allowed to walk past that light on Shabbat or are you obligated to cross the road and not go past this uh, light sensor? No, you're not allowed. What does that mean, Zev? You are allowed to, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to. Why are you not allowed to? Sikreshe. It's inevitable. You're causing it to come on. Now, let's leave aside that it's probably Sikreshe Bidrabbanan because electricity is Drabbanan. But even imagine, let's even imagine that there is a, a Doraita light there. Okay, there's a filament light there. So it's, it's a Doraita. So a hot electricity, which is a Doraita. So it's a Psikre Shebi Doraita. Let's see. No. Okay, but Simon, even Lonihale, it will be an Isur Doraita. Assuming it's an Isur Doraita, yeah, it's a kind of light. Even if it's Lonihale, it will still be Asur. Nonetheless, some scheme allow it on the following logic. The idea is, is that there are some Melachot some actions which you do, which are so far removed from the consequence that even though it's an, an inevitable consequence of your action, it's not asu. It's only mitasek. Even though I'm walking past and I know by walking past the light's going to come on, that's not psikreshe, that's mutar. Why? What's the logic? The logic is as follows. And it's this is really important. The Rashba writes that if you, have a, if you have a room and you know there's a deer there, but you have, you, you want to close the door. The Rashba says you're allowed to do so and it's not considered trapping. And everyone asks, asks him, why is this not psikreshe? And the, it's all the same question. And the reason is as follows. Psikreshe is when you're actually doing a melacha, but not for the normal consequence of the melacha. So the classical case of psikreshe is you cut the head of the chicken and you say, I don't want to, I don't want to kill it. I just want to play with the, the head of the ball. So there, which action are you doing? You are doing an action of shohet, right? You are actually doing an action of slaughtering. You are cutting, beheading the chicken. However, you're saying, I don't want it to die. I just want to play with it. So there, where you're doing an action of shohet, we say, you can't say, I'm not going to take into account the consequences that it's going to die. I just want to play football with it, Right? The reality is, you're doing an act of shohet, psikreshe, you're going to kill it, asur. Another example, which we talked about last week. I want, I'm in the garden, and I want to do netilat yadayim. So I'm pouring water on my hands, underneath this grass. That's asur, that's a psikreshe. Why? Because when you're pouring, you're doing an act of watering. You're watering your hands, that's your intention. Psikreshe, inevitably, this will cause the water to go on the grass and water it. That's asur, psikreshe. You understand? You're doing an action of slaughtering. You're doing an action of watering. You're doing it as saying, it's not going to happen, it's going to water. I'm doing it to wash my hands. I'm, I'm not, it's not going to kill. I'm doing it just to play with it. doesn't matter. Psikreshe, asur. When, however, I am walking down the street and the inevitable consequence is that I will be, I will make a light come on and transgress mav'ir, but my action of walking down the street isn't an act of mav'ir. It's an action of walking down the street. When I have the deer in the room and I want to close the room, I am not doing, I am doing an act of closing the door, which isn't intrinsically something which is sad, you could argue. That's a bit more difficult. But you, do you see the difference between the two cases? One is where you're doing a melacha. You're doing a melacha of shohet. You're doing a melacha of zoreya. You're doing it though to water your hands, to wash your hands, to uh, to to play with the with the chicken's head, 
That's where we say But when I am doing another action and the action itself, intrinsically, there is nothing wrong with it. It's not an actual melacha in itself. That you could consider to be a mitasek. I am involved in walking. The lights will inevitably come on and mav'ir will be transgressed, but that doesn't fall under, under psikreshe. There's nothing, Rob, there's nothing wrong with washing one's hands, but the action of pouring on top of grass is an action of watering. The action of taking a knife and cutting the head of a chicken is an action of slaughtering. Walking down the street and the light coming on, that's not an action of mav'ir, which is psikreshe, the light will come on. I'm doing an action of walking. That, some argue, doesn't fall under the gather of Psikresha. Now, that's a mahloket. But the poskim do rely on this uh, to walk past light sensors. Many poskim do rely on this. Rabozna did rely on this. To, to walk down the street. Again, if you have intention and you want it to come on, it's dark on the street, then obviously it will be a sur. Because then you can't really say it's Psikresha because you're going to have some intention for it if you know about it. But I've got the lamppost, I'm walking down the street, I don't need it, I'm walking past for three seconds, I know it comes on, but I don't really care about it. There's no reason to have to switch and cross and, 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 and not walk past it. Using that same logic, both Hawabadiyah says, and Rebosa say the same thing, is that, again, I am doing an act of flushing. I'm doing an act of just flushing the chain. Yes, Psikreshem may be that it's going to kill creatures, but that's not an act of shohet mineyubei within itself, if you see what I mean. You're doing an act of flushing. Psikreshem, it will kill the creatures in the toilet, but that's not, that may arguably, that may not really be a psikreshem. Does everyone understand this distinction? And we see this is brought down already quite early by the Rava Magid on the source sheet. I won't go into the exact, there's two cases here, but there's just one case he talks about here. If you cut a, um, if you cut a piece of wood to make a, a toothpick, that's makeba patish. But let's say I'm just playing and I just cut, I just cut the, the toothpick. That no one considers to be a sur, it's not psikreshe. Even though you could argue that by cutting it, I'm making a toothpick. But I've got no intention in that. That's called mit asek. That's just I'm just doing action of breaking the, 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 the piece of wood. So that's not going to be a makeb patish. Look what he says here. Nir'eh, this is Rav Magid. Shekol she'eno mitkaven, en ra'oi lomar psikreshev lehayev. Mipnei, kishu mitkaven onse melacha, ukshe'eno mitkaven, en ba melacha klal. She'eno rotsi asud menikli. Domel ektimat kesam, shekol she'eno kotmo lachtzot bo shinav patur. Shekol she'eno mitkaven tikun keli, mishlo mitakro patur. So you have this principle that sometimes something can be so far removed from the consequence that even though it's inevitable, it may still not be a psikreshes. That's another reason they add to say that it's going to be a, a mutar to do so. Does everyone understand? I don't want to ask on that, but it's an important idea. Let me just finish off and I'll take questions. Um, and uh, they say, fourthly, is that you have kavoda beriot here. Obviously, you want to flush the chains, kavoda beriot. And kavoda beriot is so important that we even allow melacha shinatzicha legufa. So this is in contradistinction to what we began the shiur with when we said in Isur de Rabbanan is not over, of melacha shinatzicha legufa 
is not overridden if there's pain. But if there's kavoda beriyot involved, then it is overridden. Like we see in the Shulchan Aruch uh, on the source sheet, where he says that it's forbidden to rub saliva on the ground with your foot because you're smoothing the crevices. But you may step on it in a mindless fashion as intentional to smooth it. And even though it's nevertheless permitted because it's repulsive. So you're walking down and you see this huge piece of phlegm. And by rubbing the phlegm into the ground, you're going to be mashre gumot. You're going to be, you're going to smooth the crevices in the, in the earth. So really not allowed to do that. I have no intention. I'm not going to be using this earth. It's malachash, it's gufa. It's asur. But because of kavodah beriyot, because of the me'usutah, the repulsiveness of this phlegm, you're allowed to do so. So you see, we even allow something so severe when you have mi'us, when you have something repulsive involved. And so this would be another reason to allow. And one final reason Havadia adds, which I think is debatable, is that he wants to argue that flushing a chain is only a grammar. Why? Because the toilet fills up straight away. Really, it should empty straight away. There's just a bar which is preventing the water from emptying out into the basin. By flushing, all you're doing is removing that bar and allowing water to come down. Now, that's arguable whether that's a grammar because this is koah rishon. This is your first input, meaning it's a direct consequence of you flushing. The bar is removed and the water comes down. So it's not so simple that would be classified as a grammar. But all in all, because of all these reasons, the poskim writes that one may flush the chain, even if there are creatures there. And even if it may inevitably be that you're going to be killing them, it would still be mutar because of number one, we're starting with the malachash shenet gufa. Number two is, perhaps it's not a psikreshe, perhaps it may not happen. Even if it will happen, arguably this is a mitasek, meaning you're doing an action of flushing and not an action of killing creatures. Number four, kavoda beriot, you're allowed to do this. And number five, arguably this is also grama. It's only indirect because you're just removing the thing preventing the water from coming down. Is that clear? Any questions on that? Does everyone understand that distinction between the two kinds of psikreshe? It has a lot of applications. Now, when it, let's come back to the question we began with. If you now have uh, some insects in the in the sink, um, now switching on, uh, opening the tap and um, allowing that to kill. So not all of the svarot which we have are there because there's no kavoda beriyot here. In the toilet there's kavoda beriyot, no kavoda beriyot here. Um, you may have the argument that it's not a vadai psikreshe. So this is more, this is less clear uh, whether this would be permissible. And therefore the psak would be that if you would have another sink to use, that would be the correct thing to use. If, however, there's another sink to use, you need to wash your hands, then it would be mutar to do so because of the same reasons which we've given. But because this is, isn't the same exact scenario as the, what we've explained, you don't have all the criteria there. You do have melachash yitzhara gufa. Maybe it's, you could argue perhaps, if you're just opening the tap and it's not directly going on the creature, then you could say it would be mutar. Because then, again, what's happening? The water's coming down, and then you're indirectly going to drown it. So that would be a grammar. That would be permissible, like we said. Whenever, whenever there's any need, grammar, the makom, whenever there's a need, it's mutar. So you would have to weigh up 
these you know these these variables but i just wanted to show you this this teshuva because of the important principles that there are here which we've seen when we do use it when we don't use it one final point with regards to this is washing infested vegetables on shabbat so many will tell you that you have to wash infested lettuce and vegetables before shabbat um, because you're going to be killing the the insects whilst you're washing and rubbing and scrubbing it so i don't think that's correct and i'll tell you why firstly most produce is not definitely infested and so it's a davar shomit kaven because you may kill you may not kill there may not be creatures there at all so you may not end up doing any any act of killing the the, the insects even if this is a heavily infested um uh you know lettuce whatever it may be you could still argue that this is only a suffect psikrisha which means true if i see this 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 uh, this piece of lettuce and it has an insect in it and i actually scrub it and kill it and obviously that's a sore that's clearly a sore because you've directly killed it but if i know there are insects here in this i don't know where it's where they are and I'm just rubbing, that would fall into what we learned as safek psikreshe, which means if there is an insect here, then I will be killing it by scrubbing the leaf. I don't know if there's an insect here or not. You understand? That's more than a davar shenomit kaven. Davar shenomit kaven means it may be, may not be. It may be infested, it may not be infested. Even if it is infested, I don't intend to kill it. Therefore, it's mutar, I'm not mit kaven for it. That's definitely mutar. Here we're talking about where it's even definitely infested. If I can clearly see the creatures, 100% I'll be a sur. If I don't know if there are creatures there or not, I just know generally this is an infested batch of produce, then every action which I am doing is safek psikreshe. If there are creatures there, it's a psikreshe. If there are creatures there, then it's mutar. So when we said safek psikreshe, we hold the halakha is mutar. And therefore this would be a reason to even... Um, to even uh, uh, wash the infested veg vegetables on Shabbat itself. Obviously, if it's better to do it before Shabbat, so you have to enter this these doubts. But if you didn't have a chance to do so, it would be permissible to do so even on, on Shabbat itself. Now, we know very clearly that it's forbidden, the Gemara tells us it's forbidden to wound someone on Shabbat, even yourself. And there is a Mahlokit Rishonim why it's forbidden to draw blood on Shabbat. So the majority of the Rishonim understand that the problem is because of Shohet, because of the Melacha which we are learning, because the Pasuk says in Pashat HaHarimot, Ki Adam Hu Nafish. The blood is our life. And so by extracting blood, even by bruising someone, where the blood comes to, to the top of the skin, um, that would be in Isur of Shohet. If you needed the blood, then it would be Tzrichale Gufa, it would be Doraita. If you didn't need it, then it would be the Rabbanan, it would be Malachash in Tzrichale Gufa. The Rambam, however, understands it differently. He says that the problem with um, blood is not because of um, Shochet, or because of dash. He says it's a kind of extracting. 
because he says, וכן החובל בחי, שיש לו עור, חייב משום מפרק. If you injure any living creature which has skin, you are extracting the tolada of dash. Obviously, if you need the blood, then it will be not it will So Rambam was, uh, Rambam held it's only a sud Rabbanan, a majority of Rishonim held it's Doraita. Now, either way, it's Asur, either because of dash or because of Shohet. Um, and here we have to discuss with regards to brushing teeth on Shabbat. Is a person allowed to brush one's teeth on Shabbat? And is it mutar even to use toothpaste on Shabbat to brush one's teeth? So let's start with just using a toothbrush without using toothpaste. Just using toothbrush with water. Is that mutar to do on Shabbat? What could be the potential problems and is it mutar or not? What would be your, what would be your thoughts? Using a toothbrush without toothpaste on Shabbat. Mutar, Asur, on what basis, what, what, what would be the pro potential problematic issue? It's, it's Mutar, but the problematic issue would be causing your teeth to bleed, your gums to bleed. So it's Mutar. What about, thank you, Yosef, what about the potential issue of extracting the water from the, between the strands of the toothbrush? Perhaps that's a Toradav Dash. We just learned that extracting is um, a Toradav Dash. So let's go through this stage by stage. So, good point you said about the bleeding. Let's go through this one by one. So, one potential issue is the fact that you, know, you, you wash your toothbrush, it's got water in it, and you're brushing. And whilst you're brushing, you're causing the water within the toothbrush to become extracted. Firstly, that would never be in Isurt Minat Torah because dash only applies to something which fully absorbs. Something which is only caught in between strands is at worst a surmi banan. This is why drying one's hair on Shabbat, yeah, even if you properly dry your hair on Shabbat, that would only be a surmi banan because the hair doesn't actually absorb the water. It just gets caught in between the different strands of hair. Similarly, the water gets caught in between the different strands of the toothbrush. So that, at worst, it is Sudra Banan. And the principle is, when you, have a, um, when you have an act of squeezing like that, and you have a handle, then it's Mutar. Johanna writes on the source sheet. Oh, it's not. Here we are. Sfog, If you have a sponge, you're allowed to use it if it has a handle. Because if it has a handle, it's no longer a psikreshe that you're going to be squeezing out. Yeah? You're using the handle and you're brushing. It's not a psikreshe that you're going to end up squeezing out from the strands of the toothbrush. So that would, would not be an issue. Um, but as Yosef correctly said, you have the problem of bleeding. So again, using the principles which we've learned, if this would be a psikreshe every single time you, um, every single time you brush your teeth, the blood is drawn and you cause yourself to bleed. And that would be in Isur. That would be melacha sheinatzicha legufa. And that would be Asur, midrabbanan. I would not be mutar. If I have a sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't happen. Even if 80% of the time it happens, 20% of the time it doesn't happen, it would still be mutar because this would be davashlamit kaven. You don't intend for it to bleed. You don't need it to bleed. Davashlamit kaven, 
and therefore would be permissible. So that, that's what, it, and the same comes with regards to flossing teeth as well. If you have very sensitive gums and every time you floss, you bleed, then that in a khanami, that would not be mutar to be done on Shabbat because that would be a melecha sheinat sechali gufa. But if ever, it doesn't always happen. Even if it does happen, you are safe because it's a davar sheinomit kaven and would be mutar. You do not need, Ashkenazim will tell you that you need to designate a Shabbat, Shabbos toothbrush. Um, there's no need to designate a Shabbos toothbrush as long as, uh, you know, that's fine. You can use the toothbrush with water, no problem at all. Are you allowed to use toothpaste? So seemingly, the problem with using toothpaste would be that you're doing memareah. You are smoothening the toothpaste on your teeth. Right, that's what that, that's what you that's what the point of the toothpaste is that you apply it all over your teeth, and you smooth the paste over the teeth, and this would be one of the toladot of this would be one of the melachot memareach tolad memahek. Yeah, to to um to smooth out would be a isur. Hamvadia famously though in Yabia Omer it's on the source sheet the exact teshuvah, uh, uh, he allowed it, and he brought a few proofs to show that the isur of memareah is only when you are smoothing, some, smoothing something out and you want what you are going to be smoothing out. So classical example in the Gemara is you have a barrel with a hole and you take the wax and you use the wax and you um, cover up the hole with the wax. So there you want what you are doing. You want what you are sealing and you want the smoothening of the of of the um of the wax when however you have no absolutely no intention in the smoothening and it's for such a short time and it's for such a short time then um that does not fall under memory it's not just not psychiatry it just doesn't fall under the category he brings various proofs for this it doesn't fall under the maria at all and therefore, that would be permissible. And that's why Havadia does allow um, a person to use toothbrush, to use a toothbrush, and to use toothpaste on Shabbat. I must say that many disagreed with this. Using the toothbrush with water is is basically fine according to the, many, but with toothpaste, many argued that the Memareh Halisa Drabanan Havadia though did allow it, and uh, therefore it's mutar for Sfaradim for Havadia to use. Uh, to brush one's teeth on Shabbat morning with toothpaste. That brings us to the end of Shohet. Are there any questions on Shohet before we move on to Dash? I want to talk about Dash now. Any questions on Shohet? Start a new topic now. No, is that clear? Yes, Hannah. Go ahead. I don't know. This is, this is appropriate at this moment in time, but this connects to the example of you gave with the mosquitoes, you know, on Shabbat. So let's say let's say it's not a mosquito. Let's say it's another insect that if that insect bit you, it may, it may you may may not. Let's say you have allergy to I don't know to bees or it, it's a, something like that. So you don't know whether it will, it's really picochnetish because it doesn't mean it necessarily will die, but it will cause you great harm or it will be a problem. Like you might need medical attention or whatever. Does does that does that change? How does that change the discussion? Yeah, it's a good question. The the if there is any chance, like Simon earlier said on of infection and disease, then that potentially is is uh, sakana. That potentially would be pikuach nefesh or the mutar. 
Um, if the worst, medically speaking, the worst that can happen would be some great lot of pain, then that would not be permissible. But it, to, map, uh -huh. so it depends you, whether. Uh -huh. It depends if it's just, again, it's very difficult to divorce these two from each other, pain and sakana. I'll give you a great right. example. Mm -hmm. For example, sakanat, we know a threat to a person's life. Sakanat ever on Shabbat. So let's say a person has a sakanat to his limb. He's going to lose his leg. There is absolutely no chance of risk to the person's life. Halakha is, and this is Hanaruch, you cannot do any suddoraita. You can ask a guy, you can do the Rabbanans yourself, but you yourself cannot do any suddoraita. You would not be allowed to get into your own car and drive your own car to the hospital. Sword, all right. Really? Even if it meant however, losing a... Even though you're definitely going to lose your leg. Oh. Because there's no sakana. However, today, this isn't halakha, by the way, just in case. <laughs> because today, in medicine, we've been told that any so much loss of blood, the risk of a limb, even just a mm -hmm. finger, is a danger to your life. So therefore, every sakanat <laughs> ever is sakanat hayim. But in mm -hmm. essence, if it was possible to divorce the two and to, to know for sure that there's only a risk to mm -hmm. the live here and there is absolutely no risk to life, it will not be mutare sudoraita. Mm -hmm. We but don't know that today. Question, but if it's a question, if then... It's a question, yes, which is why we allow today, or a sakanat ever, a person's lost his finger, he can do doraita. Mm -hmm. right? Because we sometimes I really struggle with it because you don't always know whether something is exactly going to be... It doesn't matter. If there's a chance... There's a chance, like they, they, they said about what's about Chaim of Brisk, that he was uh, very mahmir. That he was, when he came to Yom Kippur, he was very lenient. He told people straight out to break their fast. And they asked him, you know, you're so mahmir always. What happened to you? He said, I'm extremely mahmir. I'm, I'm consistent. I'm mahmir in pikwah nefesh. Uh, right? okay. <laughs> Sometimes you have to be mahmir in pikwah nefesh as well. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on now to Dash. Our second menachah for today. So Dash, and here there's two major differences between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim. Dash is the fifth menacha, and it means to extract something, ed, uh, something from an inedible case. Um, aren't you allowed to do a menacha for a chole, not a door, right? Depends what kind of chole, Rob, uh, Zev. Uh, if, it's a, if it's a chole she'en bo sakana, you can ask a go to do a door writer. You yourself can do a drabbanan, but you can't do a door writer. Absolutely, absolutely not. Now, dash. Dash means to extract something from its from its its case. So in the in the Mishkan, they they would remove the seeds from the pods around it. That's the essence of uh, of dash. All kinds of threshing is the melacha from the Torah. Now. As I said, there are two major distinctions here between Ashkenazim and Sfaradim, and one comes with regards to squeezing fruit on Shabbat. So, Rambam tells us, it's read in the Gemara, that squeezing uh, fruits, grapes, and olives on Shabbat is an isur from the Torah. So to squeeze an olive or to squeeze a grape for its juice is a melacha from the Torah. It's a melacha, it's a tolada of mefarek, of dash, extracting, and therefore that's a sur. Hachamim said that tutimbrimonim, strawberries and pomegranates, they are, from the Torah's perspective, they are allowed to be squeezed, but Hachamim forbade it. Why? What is the difference? 
Why are you uh, not allowed to squeeze Zetim and Anavim, grapes and olives, but you are allowed to squeeze? So the main explanation given for this is the Mahokri Rishonim on this. But the main explanation in the Rishonim is that the Torah only classifies a liquid as something as important as olive oil or grape juice, which is why we only make special berachot on these juices. Yeah, the berakha for fruit juice is she'akol. The berakha for olive juice and juice of grapes is hagefen and the special berakha we have. So really, um, uh, these are the only kinds of liquids which constitute a liquid, and therefore it's considered that you are extracting a liquid from its encasement of the solid of the fruit. However, to timvrimoni, strawberries and pomegranates, these kinds of fruit, the, even if you make a juice from it, those liquids are not considered a liquid in their own right. Therefore, even if you want to make a liquid and make a juice from it, it's only a so from the hachamim. Okay, now we know that everyone agrees to, and therefore today, if you squeeze olives and you squeeze grapes, a so from the Torah. If, however, you squeeze apples, you squeeze oranges, you make orange juice, you squeeze uh, uh, strawberries, pomegranate juice, that's a so from the hachamim. There are kinds of fruits which are so uncommonly squeezed, it's mutar to squeeze them. So I, was, I remember, I'll never forget this, I was once giving a shiur in a person's house on Shabbat afternoon, and I was talking about this, and I said, you know, I went through, there's three categories. There's the timan anavim doraita, there's drabbanan, there is, uh, you know, strawberries, apples, and oranges, and then there are things which are mutar perhaps carrot juice, melon juice, these kinds of things, melon juice. And there she was, this lady, she on the table was melon juice, right? <laughs> yeah. So she, uh, she um, uh, you know, had some, some kind, you know, some health things and she would be very careful, you know, she would drink melon juice. But I still don't think that would be sufficient to make that something which is commonly squeezed. And therefore, I still believe that would be mutar. Um, so Shohan Aruch writes, in Shinchaf, uh, in Shin Yudzayin, in Shinchaf, sorry, Shinchaf, he writes, the team van Avima Suri Sahtan, Ushal Kola Perot, Vitutim Rimonim, strawberries and pomegranates for Sumidra Banan, Ushal Kola Perot, Sahtan, any other fruit which is not commonly squeezed, then that's mutar to squeeze. So things like, uh, yeah, so you have to use a common sense. Apples would obviously be drabbanan. What would you say with regards to lemons? Are you allowed to squeeze lemons on Shabbat, uh, make lemon juice and add some sugar to it, make some lemonade, or you squeeze, you have lots of guests and you want to squeeze some lemon juice to be able to pour into the tea? Are you allowed to do that on Shabbat? So, Nashkenazim, so Zev. So obviously, if it's onto a solid, it's mutar. Good point. If it's onto a solid, I'll come to that in a moment. Um, so the Bet Yosef writes, after talking about the different fruits, he writes, I see people around me who are squeezing lemons into a cup which has sugar at the bottom, and there's uh, water there. No problem. He says, no one has any problem with this. Everyone's doing it. So there must be a reason for this. So he gives two reasons. It's only forbidden when you're drinking the juice without a mixture of anything else. 
Meaning, according to the first answer, that which the hachamim prohibited you to squeeze various liquids is because you may come to squeeze zetim and anavim. But zetim and anavim classically are squeezed for their pure juice. You squeeze olives and you have pure olive oil. You squeeze grape, grape juice. Um, the other fruits which hachamim forbade are fruits in which you drink them just for their juice. Lemon juice, however, nobody squeezes them just to drink lem pure lemon juice. It's always going to be mixed with something else. And therefore, that was never part of the Gezerah of the Hachami. That's the first answer he gives. Inami, or It's only a problem the Hachami only forbade squeezing drinks when they are typically squeezed and then you add stuff after. If, however, it's commonly done that you only squeeze it into something else, it's muta. And therefore, he says, because of these two reasons, it's permissible to squeeze lemons, and that's why nobody in Egypt had a problem with it. Now, the difference between these two answers is very important, because today, already in the times of the Hayyeh Adam, 200 years ago, Mishnah Barak quotes this, people were squeezing lemons, just squeezing lemons, and then later on adding something to it. So, if you go with the first answer, that Hachamim only forbade liquids which are drunk by themselves. Yeah, today, of course, apple juice and orange juice all have all kinds of additives, but in essence, you want, you want proper orange juice, you get pure orange juice. You squeeze oranges just for orange juice, you have it plain, right? Whereas lemons, no one will do that. You're always going to mix it with some sugar or something else. According to the second answer, though, the only reason why Mitzrayim in Egypt was permissible was because um, they always squeezed it onto something, right? They added something together with it. And that's why it's mutar. Now, the Ashkenazim, Mishnah Burah, took on like the second reason. And therefore, they say that today you're not allowed to squeeze lemons. Even though the Shuhan Aruch writes quite clearly, one of the shortest seifim in the whole of Shuhan Aruch, it's good to remember this seif. Uh, if anyone ever asks you what's the shortest seif in Shohan Aruch, you, you could probably give this answer. You'd probably be right. This is in 326. Mutar is hot lemons. It's permissible to squeeze lemons. Full stop. Uh, no clarification. Certain, no, you know, it doesn't qualify this. Uh, uh, he says straight out it's mutar. And therefore, Havadia uh, and many others say that according to Maran, he relied on his first reason. And of course, here we're talking about a safek de Rabbanan, don't forget. Because this is a lemon. This is not a safek de Oraita. This is a safek with regards to the Rabbanan. And therefore, safek de Rabbanan, Shuhana Aruch relied on his first uh, reasoning and um, allowed it because lemons are typically not, the juice is not drunk by itself, rather with something else. And therefore, this was never part of the Gezerah of the Hachamim. Therefore, the Halakha, one may squeeze a lemon, and make lemon juice on Shabbat. To use it, to pour into your tea, or just to make lemon juice, to add sugar to it afterwards, wherever it may be, it's absolutely mutar to do so. Shkanazim, however, do not squeeze lemons. Um, they will only do it onto a solid. Because of the principle, it's a different principle, this, which means when you squeeze something directly onto a food and it gets absorbed by the food, then you consider it a food. So therefore, when you are squeezing, let's say, a lemon onto a salad, then we don't look at it as lemon juice coming out of a solid lemon. 
Rather, we look at it as you're cutting the lemon into two pieces because the lemon is being absorbed and, and, and squeezed onto the solid. Therefore, it's considered that what comes out, the lemon juice comes out as a solid. Therefore, it's two solids. You're cutting up two solids, and therefore, that's mutar. So even Ashkenazim allow that. But for us, Faradim, to squeeze a lemon, even if it's not on a solid, even into your tea, is absolutely mutar on Shabbat. Okay. One final point we will discuss before we end. Um, one final point we'll discuss before we end. And this, again, is applicable in the summer months. And again, a big distinction between Sephardim and Ashkenazim. So the Gemara says on the source sheet in Shabbat, one's not allowed to crush snow or hail so that you can use its water. However, you can put the snow or the hail into a cup of water and it melts of its own accord and therefore it's mutar. So Hachamim came along and they said that you're not allowed to take a clod of snow or hail and actually crush it to make a liquid from it. What's the problem? What's the issue with that? So here we have a Mahlokit Vishonim, Rashi and the Rambam. Rashi says on the Gemara, Rashi says it's comparable to a melacha that you are creating this water. So it's not really you're creating anything. It's not really makebe patish because all you're doing is just changing it from a solid to a liquid. But it's similar. It's like you're doing, like doing a melacha. You're creating this water and therefore hachamim forbade it because of its similarity to makebe patish. Rambam didn't learn like this, though. You see from the Rambam clearly, from the where he puts, that's another big clue. In learning Rambam, you have to always see the context and the chapter in which he's putting the halakha. He puts this halakha of not squeezing and not crushing the snow in the same halakha of dash. And therefore, it's clear how Rambam understood the problem to be one of, not of Makeba Patish, but rather one of dash, in that just like dash, you extract a liquid from a solid, the juice from the case of the fruit. So to when you crush an ice cube, it's similar to, it's not really, you're not really extracting because what you're doing is changing the solid to the liquid. But it's similar to extracting and therefore it's a soup. These are the two reasons given by Rashi in the Rambam. There is a third reason given by the Sefer Hatiruma. Rabbeinu Baruch Bar Yitzhak, who was from France in the 12th century, uh, one of the big poskim uh, for the Ashkenazim and the Ramah. He says a completely different reason. And he says, the reason why you can't crush has got nothing to do with dash, nothing to do with Makebe Patish. Rather, it's a problem of nolad. What's nolad? Nolad is a subcategory of muktzeh. Something new has been created on Shabbat which didn't exist when Shabbat began. This is very difficult because the ice cube was here. The piece of hail was here. Um, but nonetheless, by creating this water now, it's as if you have caused the new thing to be, to be made. What is the nafkamina between these two reasons? A big nafkamina, which is the halakha. Can I take out on Shabbat afternoon, hot summer's day, can I take out a tray of ice cubes, <clears throat> put it on the Shabbat table, and just leave it on the table? 
leave it for an hour. Within an hour, these ice cubes will, uh, Hannah will, that will answer in a moment, okay? Um, you take the you take the ice cubes and leave them on the, which I want to finish by 9.30, so I'm going to quickly finish now. Can you take these uh, uh, ice cubes, um, leave them on the table, and leave them to melt? So, according to Rambam, there's no problem. Because the problem is, is when you are squeezing, when you're crushing, it's similar to an act of extracting liquid from solid. According to Rashi, there's no problem either. But according to Rashi, the problem is, is that it looks like you're creating something new that you're crushing. It's you're doing something. If I just take it out and leave it on the table, it's fine. However, according to the Sefer Terumah, Rabbeinu Baruch, according to him, it's going to be a problem because a new thing is being created. True, it's not happening through your direct actions, but solid is changing to a liquid, and that liquid is now a new thing, and therefore that's a problem of nolad. So according to this, you would, according to him, you would not be allowed to take out ice cubes and just leave them on the table and to melt off their own accord. Shohan Aruch rules in four places, like the Rambam, and not like the Baal Teruman. Four places he rules like him, and in three of those four places, the Ramah is Holek. So, here, this is talking in the context of Bishul. He says, the Shohan Aruch, you're allowed to put enfrinada, it's this kind of pastry with meat in between. You can put it next to the fire. I'm not going into the Bishul aspect now of it. Even though the fact, because it's next to the fire, it's going to cause it to melt, it's still mutar to do so. Are you are changing a solid to a liquid? It's fine, it's not happening by you. It's happening by itself, it's mutar. Says the Ramah, the Minhag is to be Mahmir, says the Ramah, based on the Ran who is quoting the Baal Teruma. And this happens in another three places. Well, Shahanaruch in three other places rules again. That's that in two places, the Ramah is Holek. And so that's the Psak for the Ashkenazim. They will not leave things out, to, they will not change a solid to a liquid, even if it's happening of its own accord. Um, so, as I said, leaving ice cubes out on the table, leaving anything else to melt of its own accord, like the shuman, the fat, which is going to become a solid to a liquid, would be a sore. Or, for example, you have sometimes, you know, you, you know, you take out food from the fridge on Shabbat morning, and you put it on the hot plate. We'll talk about that but next week. Because we're going to do bishul. Our final show will do bishul. But can you take out from the fridge fish with sauce? That fish has been in the fridge over Shabbat, over Friday night. It's congealed. You put it on the hot plate, and that's now going to melt. It's going to change into a liquid. So Ashkenazim will tell you it's a sur. You're not allowed to. Because you are, even though it's happening indirectly, you're changing the solid to a liquid. For us, however, it's absolutely mutar because it's happening of its own accord. Only when you actually physically crush, you do it yourself, then is it a problem. But if it's happening by itself, it is not a problem. The opposite way round, to take liquid and to freeze it and to make, and I'll end with this, and to make ice cubes, uh, what's the halakha with that? So then again, according to Rambam, doesn't start the question because the whole problem was it's dash. You're squeezing something. You're extracting. Here it's opposite. According to Rashi as well, it's when you're doing a melakha, you're doing something, you're squeezing, it's dame lemakev pratish. It's similar. If I'm just putting water into the freezer, that's not called a melakha. According to the Balat Terumah, the Ashkenazi scheme discuss 
even even there they allow it. They say it was only one way around, not the other way around. Um, but for us, certainly, it would be absolutely mutar to do so. Um, Zev, I'll answer your question in a moment. Just to summarize what we've learned today, um, what we have seen is two major melachot, shohet and dash. In shohet, we discussed various instances where you're allowed to trap or kill creatures if they're bothering you. We talked about killing creatures indirectly in the toilet or in the sink and washing vegetables, um, which are infested. We also talked about brushing one's teeth, even with toothpaste. And then in dash, we talked about um, squeezing different fruit, but especially lemons and also crushing things. And the difference between Ashkenazim and when it comes to leaving things out to melt of their own accord. Um, that's, there was more to say, but that's basically what we'll end off with today. Be'ezat Hashem, next week, we're going to do all about things in the kitchen. Bishul, Shia Hazara, all of that. That will be our final shiur before Hashanah. And then we'll have one extra shiur after the Chagim. And I will do one more shiur on principles. Um, so let's just take the questions before we end off. Rob, my personal experience when I asked about melting gravy is that melting congealed fat is okay with conditions. Okay, that's the key sentence here, with conditions. The condition, I'll tell you, is that the liquid, the, the melted liquid, has to be absorbed into the solid. Do you understand? So just to leave ice cubes out, that will become liquid, and that's not mutar. If, however, you have, let's say, congealed fat on the top of soup, that will melt into the soup, and it's not going to be discernible of its own accord. That's mutar. Because even according to the Bala who holds you can't make something you nor lad, that's only if it's discernible of its own, in its own status. If, however, it's mixed into something else, and it's mutar. This is what the Gemara says. The Gemara says, You can put it into something else. If it's melting into something else, it's mutar. So Rob, when they told you that you're allowed to, uh, in certain conditions, the conditions were that what, what gets melted will not be discernible by itself. We'll have to get mixed into the food. Only then will it be mutar. But if it congeals all by itself, it's not mixed into anything, Ashkenazim will be asur. Unless there's makom tzorich, then they, they rely on the main din of the Shulchan Aruch. Zev um, asks, why do some say it's not allowed? Wouldn't it be grammar because it's narrated? I agree with you. But this isn't working us through a normal melacha. It's working through muktzeh. And muktzeh, we have a principle of nolad, even when it's happening indirectly. You're right. It's, you're not directly doing anything. And therefore, under the regular definitions of melachot, it wouldn't be a problem. Which is why for the Rambam Rashi is no problem, but for this is a new concept of new things being created, and even though it's being created by itself, it's a new thing. It's muktzeh now to use, and therefore you shouldn't be making it because it can't be used. Okay, any other questions? Hazak Baruch, everyone, lovely to see you again. We'll end off next next week. We'll have a final shiur. Uh, good to see you. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Bye. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.